Welcome to Art Poppin' Bottles. Uh, This is a podcast where every week we talk about a seminal non-male pop album. My name is Kayla Mason Garvin. Hello, my name is Justin Ganaway. Um, And this week we have two very special guests, guest pod favorites. The first is a Taylor Swift scholar. Hello, Catherine. Hi. Do to say anything else? Do you want to introduce yourself? Oh my Any God. titles, Catherine. relevant yeah. information? Yes, I'm Catherine Delarosa. I was previously on Art Pop and Bottles on their Reputation episode. Um, I am a Swift scholar, specifically the intersection of Gen Z and Millennial Swifties. I exist on, I don't exist on Swift Talk. I observe Swift Talk and Swiftygram. Um, and I, I guess I work in, in theater and I'm an astrologer. <laughs> so that's Welcome, it. Catherine. Thank you for being here once again. Yeah, it's, it's such a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and we have one other special guest with us who was previously with us for our Christmas episode, as well as for Shania Twain, Elise. Elise, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello. Thank you for having me back. Um, I'm excited to be here as I find myself often as the country consultant. And my love of Taylor Swift runs all the way back to her days with Love Song, Romeo and Juliet. And that's pretty much it. I'm here for Country Taylor. Could you put that in your Instagram bio, Country Consultant Art Popping Bottles? <laughs> that's my new headline, actually, yes. Okay, Thank good. Well, welcome all. Welcome one, welcome all. This is the first of a very exciting two-part episode. For this one, we're going to just skip right uh, past the current events, which is usually our next segment. Um, I'm skipping two segments. Let me rewind for one second, and let's take a moment with our first question of the pod, which is, what pop star do you feel like this week? I am, as per usual, woefully underprepared for this. Justin, do you feel prepared to answer this question? I just thought of it two seconds ago so (laughs) um i have been starting trying to do drag you know doing makeup all that stuff i have also been doing a lot of online shopping and i really like i want i screenshot things and i'm like i'm gonna buy this i'm gonna buy this later um i've been wanting to buy a lot so i feel like jesse james um she was heavily featured in the movie confessions of a shopaholic um and she has like three different songs about buying jeans. So I feel like Jesse James. <laughs> wow, what a beautiful and niche answer. Catherine, are you prepared to answer this question? What pop star do you feel like this week? Uh, I, I have a very interesting definition of star. Um, I feel like that little Asian bitch from the High School Musical show, Olivia Rodrigo. Oh, half- the woman of the hour. <laughs> I love her. She's half Filipino. And Taylor Swift has claimed her as her daughter. I'm just like, I have felt like that for longer than you probably because she's 17 <laughs> but okay fucking <laughs> um driver's license is everywhere i love it frankly yeah. mm-hmm. i'm into it yeah that's that's the pop music of the uh, current event that we'll talk about we yes. a stamp of approval how do you feel about this justin do you like driver's license i have not heard it yet and like seven people have texted me and told me to listen to it and i'm starting to feel alt about it and so i may boycott for another week and a half no, no. <laughs> you hop on this train early you don't want to miss it elise what pop star do you feel like this week and have you heard driver's license 
I have not her driver's license. This oh. is the first time I'm actually hearing about it. Oh my um, God. Wow, Elise. <laughs> I know, I'm ashamed. But also, it would be because the pop star I'm going to be this week is not a single pop star, but a sensation. I feel like the entire cast of Bridgerton, all I do is talk in an English accent this week. I have watched the show in two days, and now I'm reading the book. So, <laughs> cheers. Chip, chip, cheerio. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. Yes, I watched Bridgerton within 48 hours. It was yeah. mainlined. It. It was so yes. good and bad at the same time. Erin, have you seen me. Bridgerton yet? Ah! Okay, we have to talk about it. Um, costumes. All right. Oh, costumes. Okay, both a source of joy and pain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it has come to me to answer this question, and uh, God. Oh boy, um, this week I haven't done the homework, so I feel like Jessica Simpson. <laughs> All right, moving on. We, this week we are discussing <laughs> a very, very special album. We are discussing a, a relatively recent release, and this is going to be the first of two episodes on this sort of general topic. This week we're discussing the album Folklore by Taylor Swift, and next week we will be discussing the album Evermore by Taylor Swift as well. <laughs> but we're recording both tonight, so you're you're in for a wild ride as are we so usually with uh these albums the first question uh we ask is where were you when this album was released um and this album was released on july 24th july 24th 2020 thank you scholar and i'm just really proving my anti-homework jessica simpson stands here um july 24th 2020 where were you when this album was released and let's go in reverse order this time elise where were you i was at work <laughs> i was at work and i'm fairly certain it was either kayla or Catherine sent me a link and that is that is when my day at the car dealership changed forever. <laughs> it was good. It was good. <laughs> Catherine, where were you? Okay, this is a horrible time, actually. Um, so she announced that she was releasing it. I saw it on Instagram first, and it was Thursday. It was Thursday, July twenty third, which is the day that I was moving out of my apartment in louisville kentucky and i was packing up my whole house pretty much solo in the rain i was on an adventure with like the worst uber drivers uh, in louisville um it was awful and then i listened to folklore with my whole body aching in a quality inn <laughs> in louisville next to the airport um and that's yeah and then i just listened to it while driving to florida over and over again for an entire 16-hour drive i feel like that's yeah. the perfect way to be initiated into folklore it that was, entire yeah, it, it, saga. It, it, hurt. it was very somatic like the whole initiation into it was um i had carried a mattress down the stairs alone beforehand oh so, i was in deep i was in deep physical pain i heard the one and then i was in deep spiritual pain and then it hasn't ended <laughs> <laughs> Justin, where were you? 
Um, I have a similar journey to Catherine. I was like, planning a move, assembling a move, trying to like, because uh, it, it was quarantine and I had just finished a degree in theater. So I was like, well, I guess I better go back to my parents' house. Um, and I started listening to the album. I was also trying to render Susical. And so I would like listen to it and try to draw fucking bird girls in pastel colors with markers, just like sobbing on these like pastel happy renderings because of Taylor Swift. <laughs> So it was dark. It was a dark time, but it was cathartic. I don't know. Kayla, where were you? I was in the same place. I was in Bloomington, about to move, packing up my shit. I honestly, though, didn't really give Folklore a good listen right when it came out. I think I probably listened to it once through around the release date, but I didn't, like, really, really start listening to it this fall, I'll say, and come clean. Um, so with all of that under our belts, um, Let's dive into our track-by-track track analysis of this album. So we have a new mechanism in place because we're trying to make our episodes maybe less than two hours, but who knows. Yeah. Um, so we're going to try and talk for each uh, about each song for the length of each song. So our producers will be timing us. Cameron, are you timing us? Mm -hmm. Okay, our producer Cameron will be timing us. And we're allowed to speak on the song for as long as the song is. But each of us on this episode right now has the power of veto. And we can each veto one song per album, although we can hoard our songs for two, two vetoes, one album, if we want. So them's the rules. Let's dive into our track by track starting with the one um thoughts on the one who wants to jump in first okay so we've got an opener for the album <laughs> frankly i don't like it i think it's one of the worst songs in like the two albums stint I what oh my god it's definitely one top five for me that's We're horrible <laughs> jesus christ i, I mean, hate it. i'm with oh justin god. it didn't oh stick with me it did, i love god. a taylor duet but it it does it, it i or i just don't i don't love it the yeah, one? you to talk about it. <laughs> oh, I tweeted about the one, like, pretty much, like, I tweeted about the one maybe once a week for, like, three months because it just, like, wounded me so bad. I mean, I was leaving, I was leaving a, a city where I had, like, worked for a year and, like, been in a toxic, like, young people theater environment and just, like, I does not, I did not need to be leaving and hear that. <laughs> and I never have had to. And... It's amazing, like that I'm okay now. <laughs> I believe, okay, I believe that the one enclosure are like a two-part vaccine, and that is all I'll say about Evermore. Yes, you're gonna say a lot more about Evermore, but I, I'll take your side, and we can have an even split down the middle about this song. I do like the one. I think it's a great opener for the album, and it sets the sort of cohesive tone that we are going to know and hopefully love on folklore and. Uh, I like, I don't think for me it's the top, it's the top of folklore, but it is one of my um, more favorite songs on the uh, top half, top half. Any other thoughts? We have a minute and a half. Oh my God. Well, what, what don't you like about the one? Like, what the hell's up with that? It just um, doesn't stay with me. Like, that's, yeah. when I go that this album, it, both albums, it just... It's fine. Like I listen to it and it's fine, but of of her music and lyrics and the whole Taylor package, I don't feel like it's a standout. 
if you compare album openers between like the one and willow like willow is so catchy it's such like a good song that grabs a hold of you and like stays in your brain and this one for me musically just doesn't like do enough for it to like stick with me i hate willow it's word salad it makes no fucking sense (laughs) we're gonna fight late (laughs) (laughs) the one is great i think in the grand scheme of all her album openers i would say the one and like state of grace are her greatest album openers Oh, I like that take. I actually yeah. like that take a lot. I think the one, um, there's this moment where she talks on the Long Pond slash Log Cabin studio session <laughs> about how she likes her opening line, <laughs> which is so funny because she quotes her lyrics all over that special. But she mm. talks about the opening line, I'm doing good, I'm on some new shit, as this idea of like opening like this conversation with an ex, but also opening the album as like, I'm trying something new, um, which is what I like about it. I think tonally um, it is very representative of fol- folklore. I don't think it's like the most strong lyrically, but I do think it um, represents its specific scenario pretty well. I have a, I made a playlist of all her breakup songs that's called I'm Doing Bad, I'm on some old shit, if that's relevant <laughs> to anyone here and how I feel about that song. That's perfect. We have to move on. Okay, track number two, Cardigan. Thoughts on Cardigan? I think the music video like confuses it. it. I'm, I don't like the music video very much. I like this song. It really grew on me, the song. For whatever reason, when I hear it on the radio, it doesn't really resonate. But when I hear it in the context of the album, it's re- I really love it. Um, and I think I wrote down maybe a great song. I like the line about uh, leaving like a father, running like water. I like. I think her lyricism on both of these albums that we're about to talk about are is really quite good. And this is like the first time I really take notice of it on folklore i when i first heard it I, when she says vintage tea i thought she meant like tea so i thought i was like you're gonna poison yourself i think the music video makes no sense happy for her. she looks she looks like she had fun um uh, do we want to talk about remixes? There's the Cardigan Cabin and Candlelight version that I actually like more. It has like less instrumental and mm. it's more acoustic. Mm. I will say. I recommend listening to that. Yeah. Sweet. Um, I want to pick up on that vintage tea lyric or whatever, because I think like, I mean, I think Kayla, you're right. Like a lot of this music is like some of the most elegant lyricism she has, but frankly, the like vintage tea sequence smile just seems recycled and boring and old and very Lana-esque. But then there are other parts of the song that I really do like. And I agree with you, Catherine. I think like the video is shit, but like most of the videos for these, for like the, the albums are some of her best and the visuals for this are so boring. Okay. <laughs> I started knitting with the goal of making a cardigan, but <laughs> it's not, it's not going well. I was going to say, how's that going? Do, is it like, so is bad. there a sleeve? <laughs> no, I'm making a Slytherin scarf, but well, whatever. I, uh, this, this song so reminds me of like young Taylor Swift. It's not trying too hard. It's very much like, the boyfriend that takes care of me energy very light and bubbly it's like this whole album to me is pretty much fine and this is a great example of like i like it that's it (laughs) i mean i guess we should mention it's the first part of the teenage love triangle that runs through folklore so that's just a Mm -hmm. thing to bookmark um it's from betty's perspective but yeah what are um 
can you what how much time do we have say say a few more words on that because <gasps> we're about to head into more of them jesus christ um uh yeah she said she explained the teenage love triangle in like the cardigan music video like premiere youtube live chat at her fans um and there was, it was so annoying on the internet because people with no reading comprehension were like arguing over which three songs were it and i'm like it's clearly cardigan august and betty but yeah <laughs> I don't know what else to say. We'll get to more with August and Betty, but I like it. <laughs> Any other thoughts on a cardigan before we move on? Oh my gosh, we saved a minute. Okay, on to the next. Let's go to uh, the last great American dynasty. <sighs> Fuck. I wanted to do more research about Rebecca Harkness, but then I forgot. So someone else go first. Um, like it. I, it's joyful. It's happy. It's entertaining to sing along to in the car. This whole, it's like, it's a bop. I enjoy it. Yeah, this one's fun. And this one's like one of the songs that can stand alone without listening to the album all the way through and still be like really nice and fun to just reference and play. Um, I also think that what she does on this is something she does well throughout the two albums is just kind of comment on like affluent society. Like I love it when Taylor does that. And I'm happy that she's just embracing that that's a beat that she speaks well on. So yeah, I think it's worth mentioning the sort of like historicity of this song. So this is about um, as Catherine just said, Rebecca Harkness, um, whose house was the Cape Cod house that Taylor bought, right? So she, yeah. um, this song is based on this woman who married into big money and also was moneyed herself. Um, and it's also literally from Taylor's point of view of like, we go, um, the most of the song is in third person about Rebecca. And then at the end, it takes a pronoun turn and we get, um, I have had a marvelous time ruining everything about her being the one to sort of like ruin this uh, sleepy Cape Cod enclave, which I, I like for her. I think that like, it's a fun, um, like little jaunt. I don't know. I love a story from Taylor too, like a, a good story. And she really walks us through the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, she does that so well. The, like the like her country roots, like she does mm -hmm. give a strong narrative throughout mm -hmm. these two albums. Um, I I have a dumb question that I actually has tortured me for months, which is when she mentions that Rebecca Harkness stole her neighbor's dog and died at Key Lime Green. Does that mean the dog was the color of a key lime, which is like quite a dark green, or is it like the color key lime pie, which is a light green? Oh, she's fully doing Kilim pie. Yeah. Okay. Because I like imagine like a Yorkie, <laughs> and I can take a pastel. Um, I don't know. Rebecca Harkness. I you wanted to know more about her because I have a I have a Twitter mutual who I don't know that well at all. But I have a Twitter <laughs> I have a Twitter mutual who wrote a play about the founding of the Joffrey Ballet, and Rebecca Harkness was like one of the big funders of that, and it just sounds cool she seems like a cool rich lady as far as rich ladies go yeah yeah i agree mm -hmm. yeah. good fodder for um creating songs yeah we still have a minute any last thoughts no let's bank them because we're gonna get oh my god i'm we are ripping through this and i'm this is this is where i sedate right now um so our next song is exile i had i'll say more but i wrote down one thing in my notes i actually love this song comma and that's all i have <laughs> 
<laughs> Let me pass the mic. Who who wants to talk? I agree. Wait, I love we should. It. I think it's so sexy. I don't know why. Whenever, whenever do we? Is what? it Bonnie Bear? Bon Iver? Someone tell Bonnie me. Bear. Bonnie Bear. Okay. Well, okay. I just say one quick background thing. So the first three songs are all co-written with Aaron Desner, but this one is co-written with William Bowery right. and Justin Vernon. So Justin Vernon's Bonnie Bear. William Bowery is Taylor Swift's boyfriend Joe Alwyn, who famously was in the favorite and i must don't put makeup on him or whatever um <laughs> and he's apparently a wonderful pianist who just he was just sitting in their shared home one day noodling about on the piano and taylor swift was like can i take that for a song <laughs> and then she did so so like when yeah when the when the like writer credits came out for folklore everyone was like who's william bowery speculating some people thought it was lord it was not um <laughs> but like people assumed it was something like you know like maybe he suggested oh i like that line this maybe what if he used this word instead but you know he actually wrote the piano part which is the vocal line so man of many talents i guess he's cool that's why it's sexy that's why elise is picking up on the sexy vibes because that hot motherfucker wrote that song <laughs> he did he wrote it and he wrote it on the can you just picture him playing piano everyone take a minute with his yeah. delicate Ooh. fingers. Oh, I'm he doesn't mm. do it for me. I he doesn't do I it, think it, for me do it for me unless he's playing the piano. It's yeah, okay, only what's shattered me, what has ruined me for Joe Alwyn, other than what the fact he does, he just doesn't do it for me, is that in Paper Rings on Lover, on, in the bridge, she says, put your arms around me, baby boy. And I just can't. Every time I see him, that's what I think. Baby Ew. boy. So I'm like, absolutely not. You broke something. I like this song. I was, I thought it was really interesting um, to hear her talk about how the collaboration came about with Joe Alwyn. And what's interesting too is on the documentary, she talks about William being Joe without giving any last names or further. No, comments. like for all, for all a dumbass could know, it could be Joe Jonas. You right. Know? So if you're not a Taylor <laughs> Swift fan and you don't know her shit, like, it was it it seems totally random but um i i do like the song i think it's interesting how the collaboration came about between like her her boyfriend and bonnie Vare. like it's so weird but um i think this is kind of a great song and it took me it's it's like it took me a while to warm up to it because it's so like it's so of a thing but i like it i love do you guys it remember back in the day when starbucks would give out like you know, like those $5 CDs, and then it was like an iTunes download card. Do you guys remember this? Uh-huh. This yeah. totally feels like something that you would find at Starbucks. That's yeah. a fucking read, and it's funny. I... <laughs> no, that's a Bonnie. That's Bonnie Vare. Yes. Yeah, every time and the National, happens. I would yeah. say. But yeah. Yeah. I, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I. I hear I do think here's an okay time to talk about her collaborators for this album, which are uh, apparently Joe Allen, uh, Jack Antonoff of Bleachers at Slash Fun, etc., and um, uh, Aaron Dessler of The National. Aaron Dessner, yeah, Desner, and then sorry. and then I don't know his name. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then Br- Bruce Dessner's brothers on Evermore, but whatever. Yes. Uh, I had another point about Exile. What was it? Oh, in the grand scheme of Taylor Swift duets with men, it's the best, one of the best ones. I think. I would say so too. And I think like her others are. Everything has changed with Ed Sheeran. Yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> and then this song that I don't really like on Red called uh, "This is the Last Time." It's not good. So, has she worked with Aaron before? Not to sound no. dumb. 
No, because I think those two watching the log cabin video too um it was they just i feel like he grounds her music in an interesting way that's consistent through the two albums he i i really like them as a pairing all of the things he worked on i like more and he was when we get to evermore we'll talk about the other dude she worked with and jack antonoff yeah jack not a lot Jack Antonoff is sketchy. I don't know if he was dating Lord or not. And I'm still kind of, it's weird to see his presence on the Okay, this gets relevant when we get to August. I will bring Jack Antonoff back for August. For now, it is time to move on. We did a great job, everyone. Now we're talking about my tears, Ricochet. Um, uh, It's an early favorite of mine. One of my first tracks on the album that I really attached to that maybe I've outgrown because I did play it a lot at the beginning. I like the, the, like, sad vibes of it. And I I um, love the hashtag melodrama because this is the song that I thought was about Lord when I saw the documentary and then I was like, no, it's about Carly Kloss. Not sure. Catherine? I always understood it as being about um, maybe a combination of Carly Kloss and like Scott Brichetta. Because mm. there's, the, there's the thing in the bridge of my stolen lullabies, which could literally be like my master recordings, you bitch. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it's also, it's the only song in folklore that she wrote solo. Um, I love it as like a good track five because famously her track fives are the sad ones. All too well is a track five. Mm. Um, White Horse from Fearless is a track five. Dear John's a track five. Um, I think it's a really good track five. I think because her last track five was The Archer, which I think is ass. Sounds like I was producing Garage Band. Um, but this is a good track five. Good job. Elise, Justin, thoughts on my tears ricochet? I like the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like the chorus. It's fine. I I don't know any of the backstory with this one. So can you guys explain that at all? Actually, she the Carly Claus. She talked about in the long long pond log cabin um, <laughs> special about how this song is. I understood from her interview with Jack Antonoff in those lawn chairs that this song is about breaking up with a friend um, and, like, the loss of a friend in one's life. Correct me, Catherine. She kept saying best friend. Like, your best friends make your worst enemies because they know exactly how to hurt you. I was like, it sounds like Scott Richard or Carly Kloss or both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I. I love this song. I think it's my one of my favorites. I think it's probably the most dynamic vocal we get from Taylor, which is not saying a lot, but I she definitely oh, sorry. I think it is. I think it's the most like the like we're getting the most singing we get from Taylor on this song, personally. She does stay like in a very narrow range on like almost all these songs. Yeah, and this one she goes a little bit a little bit higher. But, <laughs> <laughs> but this is like, also it's like I feel like she allows herself to be petty on this track, whereas with a lot of the breakup songs, we see her like exhibiting a lot of self awareness and her being like, you know, like I, I, like I had a part in this break. But with this one, she's just like, no, I'm fucking sad. It's all your fucking fault. Fuck you, fuck. And I like it. I like, I like the chorus so much because then I mean, this is not, this is not a drag, but. The, the mm-hmm, that that exact thing is something I played repeatedly in all my middle school orchestra cello arrangements. I don't know. It just like if it, it like was. What are the words to the phrase you're saying? Do what? 
I didn't have it in myself to go with Grace. Oh, I got it in my Okay. Like, literally, that's like something that cello cellists play in the seventh grade repeatedly all the time. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> it just it felt very elementary in a comforting way. Yeah, that, I like the like, strings in a lot it's of like thirds. It's like, I think it's thirds. It's major thirds. I don't fucking know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Any other thoughts about this track? Good one. Okay, mirror ball. Yeah, mirror ball. Okay, who wants to start? Catherine. I love it. It hurts. It's very, I don't know. I think it's really vulnerable of her. Like, if she ta- when, the way she talks about it in Long Pond is like the self awareness of just like the constantly being on, of like being like a cultural producer but also a celebrity um and she also says it's like the only track on it that's like specifically about coronavirus and uh, other than like epiphany but like the way it affects artists because in the there's the lyric and the bridge of like and they uh and they something the circus and the radio clowns uh what are they something the circus I call the disco down. Uh, they cut off the horses and the radio clowns. Like that's literally about like lover fest being canceled, but also I guess everyone in the arts and live performing arts, which is all of us, um, rip. <laughs> so it hurts. It hurts. I've always, I mean, famously, I love this song. I've already talked about it on a, on a previous pod. Um, but I, you know, I think it, it's one of the, like, it's different from a lot of her discography. And I think it's a really cool direction. And I would love to see her do more of it. But it, to me, it sounds like the vocals and the production are filtered through a kaleidoscope. And it's just, like, really, really dreamy and lovely. I don't have a lot to say about it. I feel I, this whole album to me, I'm sorry. I feel like I don't have enough to contribute. It's, I thought it was a vulnerable track considering, I mean, the state of the world and the state of Taylor Swift. I do feel like this is a moment where it was about her as opposed to telling someone else's story. It was about her and you could really see, um, you know, like her pain and how much, how many people she's, not romantically, but friends that she's had to reflect for and be with, and now it's all gone, and what does it look like now that all of it's stripped away? So I liked it because of that part of her. I think that's, yeah, I, I don't think that's not a lot to say about it. I, I wrote down something similar about, like, this track to me. I know uh, some of the other ones do contain some autobiography, but this track is the first to me that really jumps out um, on this album as autobiography about how hard it is to be a star but i do love it (laughs) this is what i wrote um autobiography about how hard it is to be a star okay i love it lol but then i wrote the tallest tiptoes in my highest heels now shining just for you it's so embarrassing i'm so sorry that lyric is so (gasps) embarrassing and this is where i start getting into talk in my notes talking about the album as stuff that i like that is embarrassing and stuff that i like that is not embarrassing and so that's going to be a filter for the rest of this album my review of it but i do think a lot of this album's really embarrassing but i like it and what i think i want to pinpoint as embarrassing here is like the earnestness of it the like sort of bright eyes shiny naivete slash like woman who is now 30 who's been famous since she was 17 of it all you know as some of it's 
a little bit sophomoric, but I still fucking love it because I do think it's all relatable and honest, you know, and that's why it doesn't rub me the wrong way. 10 seconds, go. Oh my God, real fast, real fast. The one thing I want to say is that I like Mirabelle because I think it's like the more advanced version of the shit she tries to say in the documentary Miss Americana, which I think is sophomoric. So this is like a junior year. Ooh, okay. All right. Now we're, we must move on as per our producers to seven. August? Oh my God. Uh, I have them out of order. Seven, then August. Is it August and seven? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. Subversively, she didn't want seven to be track seven, I believe. Oh. I have it as seven. Oh my God. Jesus Christ. Am Wait, I so wrong? I really like it. This is my favorite song on this album. Can I say Seven that? is track seven. Okay. So talk about it, Elise. What do you like about it? Yeah. Um, it hit, this is the one song that I played on repeat, which is why I don't have quite as much to say about the rest of the album. I just absolutely loved it. This came out right at the time when I was moving home to Pennsylvania and moving back in with just, it hit home. It made me feel so nostalgic for being young for the, you know, like young, young and being with Taylor, listening to her when I was like 16, when I'm still doing like the swinging, being outside all day, the freedom of that. Um, I just, I absolutely, it hit me in the feels so hard. <laughs> yes. I like seven. Um, I like the, yeah, the sort of childhood nostalgia and also not the like filtered through, it's a little bit rose colored, but like that it is about, uh, uh, you know, she talks about like the feeling of like wanting to throw a tantrum, you know, at seven, mm -hmm. and how you can get away with it at seven and how you can't now, um, or like it's inappropriate now. And, um, I, I like that about it, that it's about, you know, it is nostalgic, it, but not necessarily, um, only the good parts. Yeah, this is a track that all the gaylers like to run with because of the lyric. Uh, you don't have to uh, cry or hide in the closet. Like very small children, but I love seven. I, I tweeted this when this first when I first heard it. Um, is Taylor Swift a traditional astrologer because of the lyric "Lovey to the Moon and to Saturn"? Because in astrology, mm -hmm. uh, we divide astrology between modern and traditional astrology and traditional astrology kind of actually stops at Saturn. Cause that's like the limit of what you can see with the naked eye. So it's like, it's like, to me, I like screaming about it because it, a Saturn is one of the most rhymable planets. I get it lyrically. However, Saturn, it was also <laughs> like the edge of the known universe in ancient times. It was like the limit of all mortal knowledge. And it's like literally, it's literally as far as the eye can see. And to me, it just like, this sounds like you have a knowledge of ancient astrology or astronomy, whatever the fuck, Taylor. It's also very significant for her birth chart. I don't know if I should do that right now or ever, but it really means a lot for her birth chart. Do it now. What time, how much time do we have? <laughs> We have 45 seconds. Do we want to call Vito? Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Fine. Um, God damn it. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Okay. I'll say one thing. Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift has a very good birth chart. You can tell that she's going to have a good life, which is nice for her. But <laughs> the big thing is that she has the moon in cancer, which is the sign of its rulership. And it's directly opposite. It's not really directly opposite, but it's opposite 
in sign wise to Saturn and Capricorn. And so what that looks like in a circular birth chart is it's like a line drawn across the whole diameter of the circle. So it's not only is it like the limit of human knowledge in ancient Rome, it's also just like literally the whole width of Taylor Swift's life and birth chart and like everything in her life is contained between the moon and Saturn. I'm just like, oh, fuck. So anyway, <laughs> I, I, I have read her birth chart I recorded a really shitty voice memo of it, um, and I'll put it somewhere, or I'll record a video. I don't fucking know, but there's she's a good birth chart. Is the main thing, and it is relevant in seven. Yes. Put it on SoundCloud. Put like your your voice memo as a one track on SoundCloud. I will not. Um, but I'll do something. Whatever. That's, that's it. Did we hear your thoughts on seven? Do you have thoughts? Um, I have a really throwaway take. This is to be read in Taylor Swift voice. Um, we're doing folk, did you hear me? I'm doing fucking folk. Were my unstraightened bangs not a dead enough giveaway? I'm folk now. Because she says folk like 40,000 times in the whole Yeah, so one where she says, and just like a folk song, our love lasts so long. And she doesn't say the word folklore until Evermore, actually. So Yeah, when know, but... fucking title drops on Evermore. Yeah. Um... I think that's bold. I love it. <laughs> it is it's bold august track eight august this is the first jack antonoff collab on folklore i believe yes oh wow like we're hitting like a block of antonoff songs cool what do you think i love it well you know i wrote a play a, high, a gay high school play that has a central moment um, behind the Kentucky Oaks Mall in Paducah, Kentucky. So I love it. <laughs> Amazing. I love August. I wrote that it's masterful and I wrote that it is musically and lyrically not embarrassing. What do we think about August? I think you're right. I, I, I want to touch on that. Musically, it's really nice and you can kind of tell that Jack Antonoff is kind of starting to put his fingers in it because it's like, it swells in a way that I shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> it like... <laughs> I can't feel the Jack Antonoff fingering anybody. I'm so sorry. What did you just say? It's <laughs> just... <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. And Kayla definitely yeah, took it. I think it's good for the pod. Keep going. <laughs> um, it, I mean, the music is so sparse, like, throughout this album, but you really get, like, a lot of orchestration, at, at, like, towards the end of this song, and it, like, you can tell the jacks there. But it's really good. His fingers are in it. Yeah. <laughs> God, I love I love the end of it. It has like this long outro that doesn't ever actually feel like it concludes. Um, that has like the lyrics like back when you were still changing for the better, and like oh, back when I was living for the hope of it all. I'm just like, oh my god, <laughs> just like hurts. It hurts. Um, yes. There was like a there was a uh, Pitchfork article of, or like a review on this one where the like where the reviewer was talking about how like her life is scheduled two years in advance and like she's like of, of course really sad because her life is just full of like obligations and stuff. So when you think about it like this song and that with that frame of reference, it's like it is sad, but also she's rich and famous and has a nice <laughs> life and a good birth chart. So I mean, it just, you know, but, <laughs> damn it. Um, there was a lot of swift talks making jokes about Jack Antonoff 
like playing it on the long pond sessions because okay firstly he's like i wish i could do this but he's like has one leg up on a piano bench and he's playing the matching parlor guitar with a rubber bridge that aaron desner bought for all three of them to like it's like it's like having a sorority necklace except it's a vintage guitar that aaron desner bought <laughs> and like the whole time jack and he like really has a good time playing it so it's funny on that in that sense but then all the swift talks are all about um in the preface to the song taylor Swift's talking about like just complicating because it is like a more mature version of like the you belong with me or like better than revenge like archetype of like madonna whore like a woman who's a girl who steals your boyfriend ship so it's like more mature or whatever but like there's jokes on swift talk of like her talking about that and then like jack antonoff like spiraling in the background or like looking like he's like having a thousand yard stare thinking about fucking lord <laughs> it's it's just a joke it's just a joke if you've never read the lord jack antonoff powerpoint i don't i don't know why you listen to this podcast but mm-hmm. you should go do that <laughs> um this is an important point and we did did we when did we talk about this on the podcast we have never talked about it never drama melodrama we talked about it um anywho any other takes on august (laughs) um uh yeah i think it's good wait you were saying something that i wanted to respond to and it was about lord Jack Antonoff? Jack Antonoff? Uh, in Long right. Cabin? And, it and was his... about... Uh, it'll come back to me or it never will. Um, do we have more time? How much time? It's over? Okay, we gotta move on. It's time to talk about This Is Me Trying. I'll go first because I just said the, the title in a tone. After watching Log Cabin, I didn't fully understand what this song was about. And then after Log Cabin, I'm sorry, this song is so embarrassing and so tacky. However, it's not a bad song. It's just embarrassing and tacky. So she said on Log Cabin that it's about, like, from what I remember, someone who, like, graduates college and then starts drinking a lot. And, like, it's about how someone who's still fucking up is, like, still trying. And... I get it, but I still think it's embarrassing and tacking thoughts. I my understanding was that like the two verses are two different characters, but yes, I do think it's a little tasteless to like I don't know. I don't I don't know what her relationship is to alcoholism, but I'm like <sighs> she drinks wine when the president when she tweets about the president, that's her relationship to alcohol. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Well, you yeah. can hear her. She there. There is a sort of documented thing about Taylor and alcohol. Not that I think she. I don't think she has any trouble with alcohol. But there is a documented you know, like, trend yeah. of her being asked about it in interviews and saying she never drinks. And then all of her lyrics are about alcohol. At least you have a take on this. It's just. I think it's like it's. It feels embarrassing to me. It feels like of. All of the music that Taylor Swift has written and will continue to write, there must be another draft of this somewhere. That's a little less, like, a little less whiny. Little, I don't, it's just, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't have sympathy for it. Um, but I also feel it. Like, at the same time, driving into work, listening to this song, I'm like, I am trying. I'm just trying. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's the thing is, like, I don't like it, but I still like it. I don't know. I'll tell you, intellectually, I can disconnect from it. And then if you play it, I'm like, I just wanted you. 
I feel like this track meanders so much, and I know that's the point, but it's just like for my taste, so boring. And then also, anytime Taylor Swift tries to be jaded, like we've already talked about the fact that she has a great birth chart, like there's no reason for her to be jaded, so I don't care. <laughs> okay, I don't care. Um, let's move on to speaking of being jaded, illicit affairs. I wrote this one is definitely embarrassing, but I like it. <laughs> oh my god! The line about being flushed, like say you're going for a jog because you're going to come back flushed, like that is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> This was another one that felt like it popped right out of a Starbucks CD for me. <laughs> like, it's just, it's happy, it's poppy, but is it? I don't know. But, like, I enjoy listening to it. The Star- Starbucks track. <laughs> Starbucks. A lot of these are Starbucks tracks for me. Uh, I like, Sorry. I like the line, don't call me kid, don't call me baby. I like the way she says it. Yeah, I don't know. me too. Yeah, but I, li- I like the song. I like the song. I feel like, he, I do feel like when she tries to write away from her experience, it's either a hit or a miss and there's no middle ground. And this one's like, I like the song, but lyrically, it's like, I don't know if you've experienced this. And she says in the documentary, at least, like, not the documentary, in Log Cabin, she says, <laughs> I have... I want to write away from what I've lived and I've never had an affair. Like, she makes it very clear that this song isn't about her, whether or not that's true. But I feel like it's not true listening to this song. I don't think she's had an affair. What about Getaway Car, though? Didn't she have an affair? I don't know. No, that song's about Jack Antonoff and Lord. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I love it. Well, she, as far as I know, all she and Joe Alwyn do all day is sit around and watch movies. So it's like she is basically just writing fan fiction 25-7. Mm. Yeah. I misspoke. I thought we were on Invisible String, and I accidentally clicked on those lyrics. So that's what I was talking about before. Wait, you don't like Invisible String? <laughs> What's going on? I- Enjoy Invisible Strings? Can we just transition into it? No, I enjoy... Illicit Affairs. Sorry, go back to Illicit Affairs. Any last thoughts on Illicit Affairs before we move on? Peace. The lyrics are new to me now. It's fine. I don't know. Okay. Moving on. Invisible String. Okay. Elise, you start because you hate uh, Invisible String and then we're going to fight. Okay. Hate is strong. I think it's just a little, like, what are you talking about, Taylor? Like, I just, the whole thing. Um, I, sorry, I know it's like, likes Ivy. Okay. It's all connected. But is it? There's just so much. <laughs> okay, let's give him the dirtiest look right now via Zoom. Y'all just can't see it. <laughs> and I like it. Again, like, I enjoy listening to it, but I'm just like, beep, bop, boobity, boop, bop, boobity. Like, that's the vibe. <laughs> Wait, I feel like I understand what you're doing with your Thank you. Use better words than me, Justin. I disagree with you, but I understand what you're doing with the scatting because I it does feel like a logical extension of most of the songs that Taylor Swift has ever written. But what I wrote, because I think it's it's pretty smart. It's probably not. Okay. 
I wrote that this is the kind of song Taylor Swift can't help but write. It has it has every ounce of self-awareness that her critics have demanded of her, but it still holds the fierce romanticism that makes her Taylor Swift. Okay, I buy that analysis, Catherine. I love it. What, okay, I like I like it. It's a call, it's a call back. It calls back to delicate. There's a lyric, uh, the, something, what the fuck? Invisible string, something wrapped around all my mistakes and barbed wire and something. What? Oh, my God. Uh, something, she mentions dive bar is the point. Like, she gets drawn to a dive bar. Parades in the background. What is this? <laughs> Jeremy's going like this. What do you have to say for yourself? Uh, he was saying that she wraps her fists around something delicate. No, that's Coney Island on Evermore. <laughs> but she mentions she mentions being drawn to a dive bar by the Invisible String, which delicate starts with dive bar on the east side. Where are you at? Mm. Hey, look, what do you love about Invisible String? I wrote, I do think the Bad Blood reference is tacky and embarrassing. That's <laughs> all we um, But I do, but I think... Invisible string, like the little guitar intro is cute. And then the, I like the naming of the colors, which I also experience as a callback to red. Blue is the, I love it. I think it's a cute little melody line. And then I also think that this song from her is very heartfelt. To me, this song um, for her is about like, I, I do think this is another one that seems autobiographical to me about like, um, all along there was this invisible string tying you to me. And like, it's about all these disparate events in her life that seem disconnected, but all of the shitty, like little petty stuff, like led her to this person. And I think it's really beautiful. It, it, to me, like the idea of the song is actually quite annoying, but its execution is really beautiful. And that like the idea of this invisible string tying people and fate tying people together, I think um, is an idea that is, well realized in the music of the song it's her sophomoric phd frankly <laughs> this song i don't think is the, i mean there's some moment the bad blood is very sophomoric that when she says that i'm like oh taylor no don't ruin your song just like well we'll get to willow but um Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Um, well, well, yeah. string. Oh my god, I had a point to make. It was not that good, but I, I oh yeah, she. I think I, the popular prevailing theory is that the lyric uh, "Now I send their babies presents" is probably about Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner. Yeah. But. Definitely about because she says that that was a real event, and I yeah. that is a line that sticks out to me as something that's like honest and believable about this song and this album that like mm-hmm. she is sending like the, sending exes presents and like wish, wishing exes goodwill in adulthood is such that the specifics of that just ring so true to me in this song. Yeah, I love. I'm it. a hypocrite, and you have all converted me. I like it. It's a song that gets stuck in your head too. It's one of the ones I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm shutting up now. Yes. No, please finish your sentence and then we'll move on. It gets, it gets stuck in your head. It's one of the ones that immediately, like as soon as I started reading the lyrics, I could hear the music and that hasn't been the case with all of her songs. So it's definitely a standout in that way. And then I do love the story. I didn't connect. I didn't connect to it as quite as much as you guys did, but now I see it. Wait, I want to say something super quick I stole from a Gen Z Swifty, which is that the me is like her redemption arc for like the song me, which is unforgivable. No! 
<laughs> actually destroyed by that. That's yeah, it's so really stupid. funny, funny shit I saw on Swiftygram. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I also have to say at this point before we move on to the next song that Catherine, for a really long time on this call, I did not understand what you meant by Swift Talk. You meant T O K, not T A L K. I no, I mean talk. TikTok Swift Talk. Swift Talk was a website. Some like at board. I mean, I mean, seventeen-year-old Swifties on TikTok. Okay, that makes so much more sense than what I was envisioning. I'm so glad. Okay, okay. let's talk about Mad Mad Woman. I wrote embarrassing but good. Thoughts? I love how you're ranking everything on how embarrassing it is. That's my first thought. Is like on a. Can you start doing like a one to ten scale? Yeah. <laughs> Just I mean, so we I know where they. Mad Woman is not the most embarrassing, but it's pretty embarrassing. Just in the sort of like, I do think that Taylor really has this tendency to lean into white feminism on her songs, and this is one of them. Um, and, but I do think it is handled better than some of her other white feminism songs, like The Man. So I think that it's, um, for me, on an embarrassment scale, 6.7. It does call back to Hunting Witches, much yeah. like I Did Something Bad which is you know, kind of pretty cringe song that I love, but I, yes. I don't like the lyric that has to do with hunting wishes. And witches. women like hunting witches too. Which yes. like they do, but also bitch, come on. Like, Oh, ugh, that's, that's the embarrassment. Well, I mean, that's that is, that's like women's March fodder of like, we're the daughter that witches you couldn't burn or whatever. Um, I hate that shit. It's so stupid. Um, what else did I, oh my God, this is what the other point I wanted to make about her birth chart, which, which is that, okay. I don't know if you remember this, but there was, she did a, one of her big first interviews post reputation on her like lover promo like leg where with rolling stone where her in her photo shoes she had like no eyebrows and she looked like a who from whoville but in that in that interview she says that she explains her reconciliation with Katy perry and like how Katy perry came to be in the you need to calm down video and she talks about how she and Katy perry in their conversation the big apology conversation where they're both drinking wine and crying apparently they just they talked about their sun signs the whole time not the whole time but it came up and it was like a big catalyst moment for her because katie perry's a scorpio and taylor swift is a sagittarius and <laughs> which i think is hilarious because the birth time we have for taylor swift actually isn't that accurate but according to that birth time her rising sign is scorpio but anyway there's the there's the lyric um um does a scorpion sting when fighting back and like that's the context that she talked about in the rolling stone interview just like the the, the sag versus scorpio reaction to being attacked which i think she saw an astrologer after that point interesting yeah what other song uh, what other thoughts do we have on this song i Please fuck first you. heard it it was good. I liked it. When I first heard it, I was like, ooh, yes, an angry woman song. And then I listened to it like a third time, and I was like, I feel like she's threatening me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel scared. <laughs> like, that's I would, my take. I'd like to see uh, Hillary Clinton in like a black pantsuit and then like a black corset top just like sing this on the last day of Trump's presidency just for fun. Oh my God, no. <laughs> One of the worst things I've ever heard. <laughs> oh my god, but that that's very on brand for Hillary though. She fucking would she loves what is it, Rachel Platt? She loves this. 
<laughs> what was her name? What's what's um that Rachel song? Fight, yeah, or something. Rachel fight Fine. song. Fight song. Fight song. This is my fight. She would love Mad Woman. Hillary mm-hmm. has this on her playlist. You know those play- playlists that Obama drops. Hillary's gonna drop one, and it's all gonna be Taylor Swift songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Should we talk about Epiphany? This is my only skip on folklore. I hate it. <laughs> Yeah, it's too cloudy. I don't care. It's cloudy. Uh, fuck the military. Um, I don't have a relationship with either of my grandparents, so I find Epiphany and Marjorie extremely remote. <laughs> yeah. I have no memory of ever hearing this song. <laughs> um, this is... Uh, oh, it's... Uh, about her grandfather... Is her grandfather landing on Guadalcanal in the Pacific Theater, World War Two, in verse one, and then trauma is the chorus premise, and then the second verse is about nurses and COVID nineteen. I'm just like that's offensive to nurses to put them in the same sentence. Was <laughs> the military, but okay, um, it's boring. I, I wrote that this was very tacky and very embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I I wrote, I guess it's good. Like, I don't have anything that I can rail against musically. Lyrically, I've gotten, I got a list. But, like, I, I do think this song is just tacky. And I, like, I get the impulse and I get, like, the Taylor Swift of it all. This is a very, very Taylor Allison Swift track in that she is, like, sort of um, taking these experiences that she deems meaningful that are not at all related to anything she's ever lived through and being like, they are alike. Um, but I, and I can't say that the music's bad, but I can say I don't love this song. And I think the musically it is unforgettable. It's not bad. It's just not memorable. And, mu- and lyrically, it's not there. I think there's a picture of her grandfather in the cardigan music video and that fucking musty-ass hut that the piano's in, but who cares? (laughs) Um, Anything else to say about Epiphany? I also think, I'm sorry, but I'll just say this before we move on. I do think, maybe it's just me, I think writing songs about, like, COVID is tacky. I don't know why I, I just do. I can't articulate it other than I think it's, like, it's her considerable talents are not commensurate with the level of crisis that we're in. And I just think it's, I sh- don't, I don't like it. I, mean, I don't like I it. Just it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay no i like that point elise that she's using it to make money it's, i don't know anyone who writes about like national tragedy and trauma in a song i'm like congratulations on making money off of all of us like that happened a lot in the first decade of this millennia you know so i don't yeah. like it um let's take a 180 and talk about betty <laughs> well i hope it's 180 <sighs> betty let's go oh my god well it's a curtain with william bowery joe allen no, it's not. Yes, it is. It's kind of good, though. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it's really, I, this is one of my favorite tracks. Yeah, no, it's a Joe Allen. Share the Betty knowledge. Oh, yeah. I didn't mention this flag with August, but yeah, it's the final point of the teenage love triangle. Um, I don't know. I have nothing else to say. If people think, it, if people hoped it was gay, I knew better because I'm not crazy. <laughs> I don't. I love it. Someone else go because it'll come to me later. But 
easily top ten tracks. So this is. Can someone explain like the perspective of this song in relation to the other ones? Oh yeah. Okay. So this is sung by James. Um, the August is sung by a girl who doesn't ever have a name in lyrics, but in, in Long Pond, Taylor says that she thinks of her as being named Augusta or Augustine, which is like, you could have done anything else. But, <laughs> love it. Um, so yeah, so I'll, I think part of it is also for Taylor that, um, the three songs are three different characters at different points in their life. So like Betty kind of has a more lo- longer retrospective of like, I was young then and i knew you, this would happen and like in the bridge she says like you'd be standing on my front porch light so then betty is like in the moment this is a 17 year old idiot boy on her porch and then august i don't really know where august is time wise but it's like you know it's, it's more retrospective it's like the two girls get to be more mature and distant and then we just have this dumbass singing betty and i, I love it Load up at your party yeah <laughs> Well, you have me. Um, I wrote down. What did I write down? Amazing, incredible, spectacular, never before seen. Yeah. Um, other thoughts? I mean, I don't think it's never before seen. I think it's oh, very- certainly not. <laughs> I what I like about it is that it is super self-referential to kind of her early stuff and like even the cadence and like how she phrases things like it's very early Taylor but it's her singing from a male perspective so I think that's what makes it makes it interesting and like it's at least not a boring part of the album for sure so I like it on the ga- I heard- you go Catherine no you go no you go you know more than me no I was going to talk about Gaylers <laughs> do it Okay, well, I, so I my YouTube recommended page is a horrible place, but I get a lot of like Kaler and like Gaylor Swift compilation videos, and like there's a good compilation out there of Taylor Swift singing as a man or singing with she pronouns, or like to a woman, and that includes stuff like the Bridge to Love Story where she sings "Marry Me, Juliet." So like, yeah, so there's all these gay little Swifties out there who are like high schoolers um, with iMovie, um, <laughs> just cutting up all these like also live performances where she seemed to sing she has like it could be she has a lisp i don't know but um betty what am i saying it's like it's it could be you could argue is it queer baby no i just think you have to know taylor and know she's one of the straightest women alive um to yeah. me, this this song, and I do think like it is a trick of the songwriting. The the fact that Justin, that you're referencing, that she sounds like her 17 year old self a little bit. Like I think that she's using that as a tool. Into like to me, it sounds pretty clear that it is from a male perspective, and I couldn't tell you why. Like textually, um, other than that, it's Taylor Swift, and like, can you imagine Taylor Swift on a skateboard? <laughs> I imagine she tried, you know. I hate her fucking moving image, so I know I would hate that too. <laughs> I actually, the first time I heard this song, I did think it was from a female perspective singing to a female love interest. Like I didn't know when I was listening to the album the first time, and I and I I'm reading the lyrics now and. and Taylor does identify as James, but I genuinely thought that because everyone was talking about there being queer moments in this album, I thought this was it. I was like, oh, this is nice. 
is. I, I my think big she, the- she broke her best friend's heart, but she was in love with her best friend the whole time. That's what I thought was happening until yeah, I started I, reading. Fine. I, I believe Seven yeah. is Seven's the gayest song here, I believe. But what else was the point about that? But is the gayest song here? Seven. Seven. Um, uh, it has moments. Um, well, let's think about Betty. Uh, noteworthy thing is she performed Betty live at the at the AM. What is it? American AMAs. Yeah, Music Academy. Yeah. Oh, awards. AMCMs. American Country Music. She was wearing a sequin turtleneck and khakis. Wow. Yeah, I saw that performance actually because you posted it, Catherine, and I thought it was quite good, but I was like, what the fuck is happening? And we have this ongoing thing on the podcast, which we have referenced many times about her moving image. And I just have to agree, her moving, I don't know what it is. It's hard to watch. I love her. I love her. It makes her seem human, which thank God she's human. But because if she was perfect and elegant at everything, like, I don't know, we would, uh, you know. I mean, the Nazis already thought she was worth having an uprising over. Um, We're not getting a joke about that anymore. Um, Um, I have a a strong pivot. The reason I knew, like, the reason I, like, knew instantly that it was sung from a male perspective was that, like, the way she sings, um, would you tell me to go fuck myself? It just sounds very male. I don't know why. No, I think that's so valid. Yeah, no, that's that's good textual yeah. analysis. <laughs> um, did we call a veto on this song? Do we have more time? I placed a veto in place. You put a veto? Who vetoed this song? I put it under you, just because you were talking. <laughs> when we were... <laughs> the countdown? That's not fair. I already used my veto for this album. Did you? I only have you down for one veto. Okay, before. then great. Um, this is fine. Let's keep talking about Betty. I do like Betty. We can talk more about Betty. Any um, other thoughts on Betty? Um, we have two and a half minutes. You reminded me of early Tay. What? It reminded me of early Tay. It was just another one that was, you know, in the same um, you belong with me era of music. Mm. A little elevated, but that's it, it felt in the same house. Let me talk for one second. Since I have this time, I'll fucking grandstand about the key change. First of all, <gasps> yes. yes. Yeah. Second of all, yes. Third of all, why don't more songs have key changes? I love key changes, and I think this key change in Betty is extremely well-placed. <laughs> the thing about key changes is... I have rules. They have to happen two-thirds of the way to three-quarters of the way through the song. It has to be a key change up. If it's a key change down, I don't ever want to hear it. If there's multiple key changes, bless you, but it's not necessary. I think this is a very effective key change. I just dropped my phone. It's the best. It, it's, a, it's a really great t- t- Taylor key change. What, what is it? Half a step? But it matters. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, the like, it just elevates the song. Um, and I appreciate that they all committed to doing it live in Log Cabin. I appreciate she did it live on in the fucking awards show. I think she's that's a hard. It's a hard guitar song. I have I very weakly learned guitar, and I think it's hard. She does some very sophisticated finger picking for someone singing. I think. She has been playing guitar for a long time, and I do for, forget at times what a skilled instrumentalist she must be. 
Yes. Justin, did you have something to say? I cut you off to talk about the key change, I feel like. No, you're fine. I don't have anything else to say. We have 38 seconds of my veto. Any last thoughts on Betty? I think it can be gay if you want it. No, wait, no, there's a point. Betty and James and Inez are all the names of uh, Blake Lively's children, and they're all girls. So that's a point in favor of the gay argument. But he is a, he's a boy, so. Oh, God, I love fucking did she, Blake Lively. Did she pick those names because of Blake Lively? Yeah, she named, she named all the characters in and after Blake Lively's children. Okay. That's gay. I, I have 12 seconds left. I can't read my poem. I wrote a poem last night that involved me and Billy Lively, and it's a true story. Okay, we're moving on. It all, um, I'm Peace was on the album. This is going poorly for me. No, I, I will second that. And then the last two songs I have little to nothing to say about. Uh, like, I, I wrote... I love hoax. Okay. Oh, I don't barely know them, but all I, all I wrote for Peace is that it's a fine little song. It sort of sounds like it was meant for reputation area, but was like too optimistic and i don't know what i mean by that because i can't remember what it sounds like okay i have a theory about, i have theories about pairings and echoes between the two albums and i believe that peace and long story short are companion songs so oh. this i agree justin it's very reputation yes yeah i like peace it is all right honestly peace is like bottom half of the album and bottom half honestly these two albums for me it's not the best. She kind, she's kind of in an interesting place vocally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope, I, I, I imagine Taylor listening to this podcast and being very offended by this section for some reason. <laughs> I do think she likes her, this song. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up we've got Hoax. Hoax. I wrote oh, cool. I like Hoax. Well, I wanted to make the point that Hoax is a B flat minor and Evermore is in D flat, which I would consider the Phoebe Bridgers key or it's capo one on a guitar. That's the main thing I had to say. Um, I like hoax. It's a good closer. Um, it, Very I think interesting. It, I think it could, I think it commits the same crime as uh, this is me trying, which I think is about multiple characters and it's not super clear who's who or that that's what's happening at all. Um, but yeah, it feels it feels correlated to this is me trying. I don't know if it's that's good or bad. I like it though. I like it as a closer. Because I hate the lakes. The lakes is bad. But I also <laughs> think this song is embarrassing and tacky. And I'll read you the lyrics. Uh and these are the lyrics. I'm so sorry. Taylor's so mad at me right now, but it's the lyrics that mean a lot to her. You know it still hurt hurts beneath my scars from when they pulled me apart and she's like anyone who knows me knows what that means which do you think it's the kanye thing or something else but i think those lyrics are embarrassing no matter what they're about take a lot of stuff to be about scott Burchetta and big machine and scooter prod oh you know what that's way more likely yeah uh, because her her son her Sagittarius son is unaspected and her second house which is like money and possessions and just like her whole thing is ownership like her whole fight for her masters and like she talks about it another another video source we haven't talked about yet is she she did an hour-long interview with apple music after she won songwriter of the year that i don't really remember but she talks about her whole like apparently she's like meeting with like record labels to talk to them about like exploitative young artist contracts or some shit it's like are you like lobbying what's what's your point anyway i'm like whatever ownership matters to her on a deep level 
I know, but it also is like really like sort of cool that she like as one of the few artists who came back and was like, these are my masters. So like even if she is petty and annoying, like it's also really cool that like a female artist did it. So I that's and that's like my whole thing with Taylor is I, I see I okay as much as I think that Taylor Swift is you know the greatest writer to walk the planet, I do think maybe if the United States continues to exist, she'll probably exist in like AP US history textbooks in the 100 years from now as like a name in a Supreme Court case for intellectual property rights, like the Comstock law or like okay. Swift versus Borchetta or something. I think that's actually probably going to be her legacy in centuries from now. Oh no, she's going to be in the whole section about celebrity culture and the demise of America, like <laughs> name checked with Jeffrey fucking Star and fucking- well, she Nick. is connected to, you know, all of the fucking shit you know yeah i mean and i do think she has put in put a significant amount of distance between herself and like nazis but there was a while where she was sort of like a little nazi poster child and she wasn't saying nothing about it so yep <laughs> Taylor Swift, face of the Nazis in 100 years. I did. Well, I wrote a stupid 10-minute play about Taylor Swift recently. And I, what, I, I did go on stormfront.com to, like, read think pieces from Nazis about Taylor Swift in 2014. I was like, this, this is grim. I didn't like it. I had no idea Taylor was associated with the Nazi party until oh, this day. Oh, my God. At least there's so much. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, that's our time. <laughs> so that's our time to talk about uh, folklore. Um, now we're moving on to our favorite tracks. So each of us gets a maximum of three tracks to name as favorite tracks. And then we're going to rate the album. Um, let's start. Justin, do you want to start? Sure. Um, my favorite tracks are Mirrorball, My Tears Ricochet, and The Last Great American Dynasty. Mirrorball, for reasons I've already said, The Last Great American Dynasty, because I think it's sort of the, like one of the most listenable tracks on this album. I think it appeals to all. And then um, My Tears Ricochet, because I did see all of those articles about like Taylor Swift fit tracks, and I think that this is maybe my favorite. I really, really love it. It destroyed me. Elise, what do you like from this album? Um, number one is Seven. It gives me all the feelings and makes me think of childhood. And then we've got Exile because it's sexy and I like it. Um, and then last but not least, y'all really changed my entire view on Invisible Strings. And it's been stuck in my head for the rest of this podcast. I so I'm going to put that at number three. It might move up. It might beat Exile. I don't know. Got to simmer on it. Wow, I'm floored and so happy. Catherine. Uh, I think mine, okay. Well, my Spotify top five of the year were four Mitski songs and then August. Because so, <laughs> uh, I had a really rough winter. Um, yeah, August. <laughs> August, Betty, and The One. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think mine are August, Betty, and... Um, Oh gosh. Uh oh this the the last one is hard. Um August, Betty, and maybe American Dynasty. Good one. 
Okay. So now we're talking about our rating for the album. So traditionally we rate our albums based on a box wine system with Franzia being the worst, um, black box wines being in the middle. Um, and specifically with a shout out to Chardonnay for blacking so many people out so many different times. And, uh, our top tier is Boda box, um, with Cabernet Sauvignon being our gold standard. Now, recently we also have gone off the rails so feel free to rate it on any alcohol system because we know that Taylor prefers whites. So <laughs> wines, wines. I'm. She's not. She herself is not enough. Um, so um, this is a relevant point forevermore to bookmark. Um, it is. So what do we think? Does anyone have like a real strong inkling and want to go first? I put it really high. I want to say it's like a Boda. Merlot. It's not a cab sauv, and it's not a white, but it, it's a Merlot. Yeah. Okay. Boda Merlot. Franzia Chardonnay. <laughs> it's dry. She's basic, and she's white. <laughs> but it's good. Like I'm gonna drink it. Like I'm gonna drink it. I like it still. But oh, oh my, my god. god, I love it. Uh, Justin. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go off the rails again um, because I think it's like, I would call it like a La Marca Prosecco because like, like, and I'm going to make this point now, like La Marca Prosecco is like aesthetically packaged very well. Like it's really, really beautiful and it's, and it looks like it's going to taste amazing. And like when the album cover dropped and when everyone was like, Taylor's doing a folk era, we were all like, yeah, that makes so much sense for her career. Like it's going to be really exceptional. But if you taste a La Marca Prosecco, it's not that good. It's sort of overblown. And then a little bit stale tasting. And like, I'll say it, there are only like six tracks on Folklore I like and the rest I can leave. And so I'm giving it a Lamarca Prosecco. Okay. All right, that's valid. I think that I'm going to also veer off the rails on this one. But I think this, to, to me, really, really, really is a cupcake Pinot Grigio. <laughs> if you drink it all day, it's at a good price point where it's a little bit bougie but also affordable. Um, it's definitely basic, but it's also really consumable, and that matters. So I think, for me, this album is nothing if not consistent. And that I think, uh, as we've been talking over the past fucking year and a half about pop music, I think I really do prize like consistency over an album and quality over the course of an album. And I think that Taylor has to varying degrees given us both here. I think this is one of my favorite albums she's ever put out. I think it's really high quality, um, especially for $14.99. And I think that um, this is really great for her. I, I think that I put my full weight behind supporting folklore and cupcake <laughs> wines. <laughs> Wait, I forgot. I should have. I should have had this the whole time. I do have a signed folklore CD that someone sent me because what? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift sent free signed folklore CDs to like record stores when like COVID is really bad. And someone and she sent some to Landlocked Music in Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, Kayla, your student Nat Fry sent me a full signed folklore CD. Let me get it. Hold on. Oh my God, <laughs> this is yes. a, a podcast, but whatever. I'm gonna get it. 
Love. Oh my god! We'll describe it when she when they get it, and I'm really really thrilled. I can't wait. I'm. Oh my god. Oh, they're so excited. It's still, it's, it's still the plastic because it cracked in the mail, so I haven't opened it. But allegedly, she went through and like drew mustaches on herself, and there's supposed to be like you know Olivia Meredith and Benjamin Button's cat hairs in it somewhere. But yeah, I have a signed. She came to Bloomington. No, she just sent oh. she sent a bunch of signed folklore CDs to like independent record stores, including Landlocked Music in Bloomington, Indiana, and someone sent it to me because. I have a brand of people. I have friends. <laughs> I'm so glad that Nat sent that to you. That's incredible. And also, <laughs> wild to see a CD. Yeah, wild to see a CD. Or that parental advisory little sticker, which is so funny for folklore. It makes the album look so much better, and she should have put it on the digital um, <laughs> images of this, the little parental advisory. It is bold that she doesn't have you know any words on the cover for folklore evermore i guess that's a choice but whatever all right any last thoughts before we wrap up this episode no okay well we want to thank our executive producers we have jeremy smith we have aaron burnett we have cameron and toy keeping us honest keeping us on schedule um we want to invite all of you listening to go ahead and follow us if you haven't already like rate comment subscribe review us because we don't have any written reviews except for from jeremy we'll out ourselves it's fine yeah. um, we want to invite you all to follow Catherine and elise we'll link their um usernames profiles whatever in our um show notes so thank you so much for listening tune in next week slash it's gonna happen in like 15 minutes we're gonna talk about <laughs> evermore it's gonna be incredible so please join us um justin any last th- thoughts before we get yes. out of here I just want to echo your sentiments. Thank you. All. Thank you, producers. Thank you, Cameron and Toy, so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> that was a callback. I love you all. <laughs> thank you. Thank you to our listeners, to our fans. Um, we're all doing a shot for Elise, but I have no hard liquor here. So um, do we'll do a somewhere. shot of Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, some um, wine. Some I have, wine. A shot of wine. See, it's I have whiskey. <laughs> it's Taylor Toast with one liquor. Yes. Bye. Bye.